Now, I didn't say anything, just go on as always. Um, we are in the book of Romans, and we got to open in prayer first anyway. Yes, so, um, Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the opportunity to be here today. We thank you for this uh, chance to uh, get into your word and to uh, study it. And um, we're so glad to see Sandy here, and uh, we pray that her uh, treatments will continue to be effective until the last one, which must be soon, and uh, that there'll be complete healing with that. And um, Lord, we just thank you for all the blessings you've given us, which are way more than we deserve. And uh, I just, I, I thank you for all you've done for us. And thank you for this class, and thank you for the people that are willing to suffer through it, even on YouTube afterward, that... Uh, uh, maybe they'll be blessed by it as well. And we would pray this, that uh, this, this class would be a blessing to them. And uh, Lord, we thank you for all you've done for us, and we praise you and we exalt you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, anyway, um, I, uh, I, I have to leave on time today. I, I, I cannot stay and talk. Um, because Hidako's gone, I've got dogs, literally six of them. You know, she comes an hour late because she feeds them and takes them out, and then we take them out when we get home. So when it's time for me to go, I just have to go. Why don't we stop about five minutes early? Well, I, I'm going to mention that. If I look at the time, I'm going to mention that anyway with Sergio, is that um, uh, it, we just stop a little bit early, and he can send in his message. And look at who's here. Look at who's here. Welcome back. And we... And the beautiful sisters down visiting with her, so it's pretty wonderful. How are you guys doing there? It's very good to have you back. All right. Okay, we are literally just getting started. We have not started our, our uh, first uh, verse yet, but we're in Romans chapter 1, verse 6. And so, uh, uh, Jim, if you would just read, read loud enough so that they can hear. And... Uh, and you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Okay, now this kind of follows along with verse 5. So go ahead and read verse 5 again, and, and we'll actually get started with this, the thought process. Through him, and for his name's sake, we receive grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. Right. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Okay, um, now we did the comments on last week and uh, uh, we stopped right there, but um, uh, let me read that again in the New King James Version. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all the nations for his name. You've got Gentiles, this one's got nations. Um, once again, I, I might as well say this right when I open up the class, is that, um, you know, I post the sermons on YouTube, and inevitably, somebody comes on and they say how much they like the sermon, but they wish that I would preach out the King James Version, and it always devolves into nonsense. It happened again today. Somebody was making comments about um, uh, how uh, God didn't put errors in his word, and the King James Version is perfect. And I said, I, I said you're not even thinking this through clearly. God... His word is perfect. It's man's translation of it, which is imperfect. And so I just want you to know, when we talk about these differences in uh, one version or another, I do not want to hear ever again from a King James-only person. If they're going to make those comments, I'm just going to ban them from any comments because I, I'm, I'm personally tired of it. They get abusive. They get arrogant. They have no scholarship in this at all. And I hate to be that way with people. But I, I don't have time to be responding again and again to the only same have, questions concerning the King James. Explain commandment number six. Con yes, commandment. <laughs> com oh, yeah, thou shalt not kill. It's murder. 
okay? You can kill all you want. You want to go kill a, a, a deer? There's nothing in the Bible that says you can't do it. But uh, it, you are not to murder, and that's right. The King James Version says things that are not correct, and that's all there is to it. So if somebody wants to King James only me, they're going to get banned. Anyway, and I don't want to devolve into this right now, but I had to say that because I give an analysis of a version. Somebody else reads another version. They don't read the same, and yet they say the exactly they say exactly the same thing. Okay, the nations are the Gentiles. So it just came to my mind, and I, I just no longer have time for that kind of nonsense. It it is a cult mindset because people are not willing to say, you know, I could be wrong on this issue. Instead, they just spout off things. All right. Um, verse 1 6 again, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. All right. As you can see, these are my comments. Paul has drawn a distinction between his calling, which was the same as the other apostles, and those whom he is addressing in Rome. Okay. There's a, a difference there. Among all nations includes the Roman uh, addressees. Paul's calling is one of an apostle to witness to the work of Christ to others. Those, other, those others are counted among the called of Jesus Christ. Okay? The word for called here is the Greek word kletoi. It's a general term. Paul uses it for himself in verse 1 concerning his apostleship. We'll go back there. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle separated to the gospel. So it's the same thing. You're called to one thing, you're called to another thing. All right? Um, Jesus uses the term in Matthew 20, verse 16, when he said... Many are called, but few are chosen. In direct reference to today's verse, Paul is saying that the recipients are the called. However, there were certainly many in Rome at the time who read the letter who weren't saved Christians. And the reason why I'm saying this is because, what does it say? Um, well, verse 7 will make it more clear, and I won't go to there yet. But among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. Okay, There are obviously people in Rome that aren't saved. Okay, but he's addressing the Romans. So, um, uh, let's see here. Um, uh, they, they weren't Christians, and there have been jillions of people since who have read the book who are not saved believers. So Paul is writing the, uh, this epistle. He's writing it to the people in Rome. And he says, you're the called of Jesus Christ. And like I said, I, I know people that have read the Bible many times in their life, and they aren't saved, and they admit it openly, I'm not saved. So is Paul writing to them or not? The answer is no. He's not writing to those people. He's writing to the called. Anybody can read the book, but it doesn't mean that they are included in the called. Okay? It's an important distinction because, you know, you can say, well, the Bible is written to everybody. That's true, but it's also written specifically to a group of people. It's written to individuals who are in a certain context in relation to the Lord. And so just because the Bible is written to everybody doesn't mean it's written to everybody. Everybody understand that kind of... It, I know that kind of doesn't seem to make sense, but that's the way it is. Um, uh, I don't know. You could use an example of voting. You know, Trump sends out a leaflet, and he sends it to every house in America, right? It's written to everybody, but it's not really written to everybody. It's only written to the people that are going to vote for him. The same thing is true with the Bible. There are certain people that the Bible is written to specifically, but it's written to everybody generally. Um, uh, not to get into any conversation at all, but I was really disappointed in one individual last night. No kidding. Oh, yeah. Wow. But very, I tell you what, I, I am so glad that the true colors came through on that one because uh, this is a person that, uh, I won't go any further than that, but I am so glad to, to be done with what I thought was the right choice. I thought he was the right choice, and thank goodness that didn't happen. Um, okay, so 
The idea then is that the offer is given and anyone can accept it, but not all choose to. Okay, it's the same thing with uh, talking about the called here is exactly the same thing as uh, when you're talking about um, predestination and election. Did God choose them in advance or do we, uh, obviously he chose everybody in advance, but what does that mean? Does he choose them based on the free will that they have or does he choose them and just say the rest of you are out? Well, the same thing applies to the called here. Are the called people that respond or are the called just people that Paul wrote to knowing that God had selected them and nobody else? Okay, and we've talked about that a million times, and we're going to talk about it 5,000 more at least during the book of Romans. What does it mean to be predestined? And uh, uh, we'll go through all of the, uh, the meaning of that when we get to it. But right now, all we're worried about is the fact that he is writing to the called in Rome. What does that mean? Okay, uh, those who do, speaking about who choose to accept what Paul is writing, those who do are the called of Jesus Christ. Paul will show, and once again, that's a very good hint as to what predestination means. Just reading his words right here shows us that free will is involved in it, if you just simply think it through. Um, those who do are the called of Jesus Christ. Paul will show us later concerning those from Israel who don't believe. That would be Romans 10, 16, and 17. So let me take you right there. Romans 10, verses 16 and 17. Um, let's see here. It says, um, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. He's speaking about the Jews, right? He's, Romans 9 through 11 is the, the great discourse on what Paul says is the state of Israel, what will be the state of Israel. And we all come and, you know, I'm talking about different uh, opinions about the status of the Jews in the world today. We all come to these same verses and we look at them completely differently. Why? Why do some people say that the Jews are replaced by the church or the church is the Jews and, you know, all that? Or why do some people say God still has a plan for the Jews? It's because you're coming to the Bible with what's called a presupposition. I already believe this, and so whatever this says, I'm going to insert it into my theology. I'm going to make the Bible match what I believe rather than me changing to believe what the Bible says. It's very hard not to do that. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to accuse anybody here. I'm just simply saying that we all will come to the Bible with certain presuppositions. And when we do that, you know, I, I, I won't give that one as an example because it'll upset somebody. But uh, when we do that, when we come to the Bible and we say, I believe this, and it doesn't matter what the Bible actually says, I'm going to believe what I believe, then you will, in your mind, make those verses say what you want them to believe. Okay, so I said I was going to read Romans 10, 16, and 17. Um, uh, 16, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed our report. Okay, so then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, right? Don't be quiet just because I said, you know, what I said at the beginning of the class doesn't mean to be quiet. Yeah, I just, no, no all, all I'm saying is that somebody emailed me and she says it's very hard for her when we're getting into a long discourse back and forth to, to hear, and so they're not being benefited at all. It's not like they're sitting here and they can't hear that, that uh, uh, microphone. So if you got a question, say it, say it loud enough. If you got something to read, read it loud enough. And uh, hopefully it will go to that because I have not watched one of these recorded uh, Bible studies. This is all new. Just, you know, I think this is our fifth or sixth time doing it. And other than just watching five or so minutes to find some particular thing, I have not watched them. So I don't know what it's like. But that was a, something that somebody emailed me yesterday. And she was much more eloquent than I was in it. But anyway, um, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Paul is writing this book of Romans. He's writing in... Uh, Verse 1-6, that he's writing to the called. Well, who are the called? It is those who 
hear the word of God and who believe. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Okay? Once again, I, 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 it's just me. I don't know how somebody can come to the conclusion that free will is not involved in our salvation. I, I don't even understand how that can happen. How somebody can read the Bible and say, man has no choice in what happens to him. If you read the Bible, just you've never read the Bible once in your life, and that's why I'm thankful that when I came to the Lord, I didn't. I've never seen the Bible read in my life. You know, I just sat in the back of the the building there and I read it ten hours a day, seven days a week, because you know I just, I was in my store, and you just read it at face value. I don't know how you can come to the conclusion that God doesn't give you a free choice in anything. It it, it doesn't answer any of the problems. It just creates more dilemmas. I I just don't understand it, but. Like I say, John Calvin started out with one uh, theology, and over the years he developed his systematic theology. And people follow almost word for word what he says. After all of that time of him developing this theology, and he developed it wrong. That's all there is to it. He just he, he developed it wrong. And there are 10,000 other people that have done systematic theologies. Some of them have done a systematic theology on the Holy Spirit, which is completely off, and it justifies things that are not in the Bible. Now, systematic theology just simply means I'm starting with the Bible and I'm making a theology, a system, out of what is going on in Scripture. And they present that. You know, Norman Geisler has a systematic theology on the Bible. Well, Different. Just taking presuppositions to a to a form? It's it, like, that's well, exactly what it is. It's taking presuppositions to a written form. And that's why when you come to the Bible, you have to say, I am going to let this speak to me. I'm going to see what God, and I, I have to tell you this, is that when I prepare a sermon or when I prepare, prepare a daily devotional or anything, and I come across something that I am now confronted with, and I say, you know, I wonder if I'm wrong. And I kind of get this heartbeat, because this is what I've been teaching all along. And I read somebody's commentary that makes real clear sense, and I say, am I wrong on this? And I will spend much more time researching this to find out if, in fact, I am wrong. And it may be just a really minor issue to some people, but to me, I don't want to be wrong. And I'll that read. That says a lot about you. Well, it, because you, you at least you're not stubborn enough to think, well, I'm right and they're wrong. You question yourself. And, and that's what you have to do. And that's what I'm telling every, each of you yeah. every week. Always question what you believe. <laughs> and I'm not. And I say I've also said this many times. Never question what you believe about the the principal tenets of the faith, the Trinity, the deity of Jesus Christ. Those things are so obvious in Scripture that we should never say, well, maybe I'm wrong about the Trinity. It, 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 it's obvious on the surface if you read it and you see, you know, the Holy Spirit is called He. He does the exact same thing that Jesus does. He does the same thing that God the Father does. Jesus does what God the Father does and He does what the Holy Spirit does. They do exactly the same things. Therefore, either the Bible is not the Word of God and it's a convoluted mess, or the Holy Spirit is also a member of the Trinity. Jesus Christ is a member of the Trinity. But always on minor doctrines or things, you know, non-salvific issues, Israel, whatever, question it. If you're wrong, you're wrong. It's better to be wrong and to correct it to right than to say, I'm going to continue to be wrong because I just don't accept that premise. I don't accept that premise. And the one that I was going to say earlier, and I'll say it right now, is women teaching. The Bible is absolutely crystal clear on that precept. It could not be clear. Okay, teaching the men. I, uh, woman is, I do not permit a woman to have uh, teach or have authority over a man, right? Couldn't be clear. And then you have 15 other verses which fully support that. Uh, 
when you ordain a uh, uh, deacon or a uh, elder, it must be the husband of one, one, but one wife. A woman doesn't have a wife. She has a husband. It is speaking least, about a man. At least back then. It, well, at least back then, that's right. But all of these things, and th that's just one verse out of about 50 that you make a theology out of that, and it is crystal clear. And yet some people will say, I disregard that. And they will read the Bible, and they will find ways of manipulating the words to say, see, I can be a teacher. And it's always convoluted, and it is always wrong. That's not to diminish women. The Bible never does that. But they have a role. Men have a role. Jews have a role. Gentiles have a role. Everybody has a role. So let's go back, let's, or let's go on. Um, just a little question for we, uh, before we go on. Are you among the called? If you've heard the word, be sure to let it sink in and then respond to it. Eternity awaits. Okay? That's my little life application for you. Verse 1 7. Yes, wait, wait. Read Ephesians 1, 13. Ephesians, oh yeah, I could, I could quote it to you. Ephesians 1, 13. You believe you're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Here we go. Ephesians 1, 13. Um, uh, let's see. As a matter of fact, everybody here should, I, you know, when I do that daily commentary, I always say, this is a verse that you should memorize. And I don't do it often, but I've probably done it 10 or 12 times during the New Testament. You should remember these verses. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 is, In him, Jesus Christ, you also trusted. After you heard the word of truth. Well, once again, that, that predestination, election, what does that mean? Does that mean that this says something other than what it says? Do we trust Jesus Christ or does God make us trust Jesus Christ? Did God regenerate me in order to believe so that I could trust in Jesus Christ? Because the Bible never says that. I'll give you an example of exactly that. What does it say about Enoch in... Um, uh, he believed God. He walked with God. Oh. And he was no more because God took him away. So basically, he believed God. He trusted him. He walked with him in his life, right? Uh -huh. So I sent that to a, a, a person that believes in um, election where God regenerates you in order to believe. And I said, how do, you, how do you justify that? And you know what he did? He took all of that Calvinist doctrine from the New Testament, and he said, well, it's very obvious that he was a person that was you know, in Adam, and God regenerated him in order to believe, and then he walked with God, and he believed, and he was saved, and God took him away. Does it? Can you find that anywhere in that verse? The verse on its surface is very clear, and it's only one verse long. And you have to insert an entire theology into that one verse in order to get that, and it doesn't say that. The Bible is asking you to think progressively from Genesis 1-1, I am going to progressively reveal what I expect of mankind. That's why the law comes after Abraham. That's why Jesus Christ comes during the time of the law. That's why the dispensation of grace comes after Jesus' work. Everything is in order so that we can very methodically see what God expects of us. So we'll go on with Ephesians 1.13. Yeah, uh, um, while you're looking for that, if, if, there, if free will did not exist, Adam and Eve would never have sinned. Well, that's right, but you know what? I, I, and I'll tell you about that in just a second. Let me finish uh, with uh, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, and don't let me forget what you just said. But I will tell you what, how R.C. Sproul defends that, okay? I, I'll, I'll tell you exactly what he said. And he did a, a, probably a 45-minute long um, CD, which, you know, I listen to him at, once a month. He sends me one of his CDs, and they're always very interesting. But I'll tell you what he said about that. Ephesians uh, 1, 13 and 14. Um, in him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. 
Okay, so you believe you're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. It doesn't say that you're regenerated in order to believe and then you are believing and then you're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased procession to the praise of his glory. Okay, that's what the Bible says. So what are your comments on that? Okay, but you're absolutely right. Fits perfectly in with that. Who is the called? How do you get that calling? Where does that come from? So you asked, what is the case with free will? If Adam and Eve did not have free will, then what about the fall? And he talked about that. He said, you know, I know that people talk about Adam and he, he dismissed before he ever got into his talk the possibility of free will. He says, I know that people just throw that off on free will and they had free will to do what they wanted and they did it and there was the fall. And he says, that's a very simplistic explanation. And he never went any farther with that. Instead, he went and he said, um, he, he got into this long thing about intent, okay? Jesus said that if you look at a woman with lust in your eyes, you have committed adultery. You've done it already. Even if you haven't committed the act, you've done it already, right? And so he went into this philosophical thing about uh, Adam and Eve, okay? The Satan comes and he tempts uh, Eve. She tries the fruit, she gives it to her husband, he eats it too, right? And so here's what he said. If intent is sin, then Adam fell before the fall. Anybody know what the problem with that is? What is the problem with that? If intent is sin, then Adam fell before the fall. There was no sin before the fall. What? There was no sin before the fall. Well, if intent is sin... He had no law about the intent. He had a law that says, do not eat of this fruit. Okay? He was innocent. Innocence! That is it. It's not that there was a law or that there wasn't a law. It's that he was innocent. He went from innocence to conscience. Until he had exercised his free will, which answers the dilemma exactly. Until he actually exercises his free will, he had no knowledge of what it meant to sin. That's why it says, after that, it says what? The man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He was innocent. He could not comprehend what it is. I cannot comprehend what it is like to have a baby. I've never had a baby, and it's not possible for me to have a baby, right? If intent to sin is sin, then he fell before the fall. It's impossible because he had no conscience of what it meant to be sin, to sin. You have to go through something in order. That's why if you ever saw the one where Spock went, or the uh, Enterprise went back in time to get the whales, right? Yeah. And um, they're on a Klingon warship. Somebody corrected me. I said a Romulan one time, and it's a Klingon warship. They went, took it back in time. And while they were getting ready to do this jump back in time, um, uh, McCoy said to Spock, who had died and been brought back, he said, you know, I'm sure glad you got your katra back in your katra back in your head because it was put into McCoy. McCoy carried around the conscience of of Spock until Spock was came back alive. And then they put this katra back into him. He now has his conscience. But anyway, I'm making a point here. Okay, so he is talking to McCoy and he said, um, so tell me, what is, what is it like to have been dead? And he says, well, I can't answer that with a common frame of reference. And McCoy said, what? You mean I have to die in order to have a conversation with you about death? Well, yes, that's the answer. How can he explain to him something that he's never experienced? It's not possible. You can tell him it kind of in, in a, a philosophical way, but you can't relay something that has never been experienced 
fully. All you can say is, well, it's like this. But until you've done it, you've never done it. And Adam was in conscience, or he was in innocence until he sinned. And then he had a conscience of what it means to sin. So R.C. Sproul is entirely wrong. But you see what he did? By saying that intent to sin is sin, he now says that we have to be regenerated in order to believe. Because I can't be saved unless I know what it's like to be saved. And so he has to save me first, which is the most convoluted thing in the world. Okay, and to take that like further, is that if... if, if, if Speak louder. If Adam and Eve, Eve had no free will, and we've gone through all of this history since then... Yes. There's no love in this God. There is no love in God because that is that is exactly right. He is he has created automatons that are doing his will, not the will that we're speaking about in this verse. Right. He has created automatons that are doing his will apart from anything else. Now that doesn't mean that God's will is not always sovereign. It is 100% sovereign. But he says, "I am going to do this and I am allowing you this choice. My will is that you would be saved." What does it say in Peter? It says that God wills that none should perish. All men would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Well, that tells you that God is sovereign, that he has offered something from his sovereign throne, and yet at the same time, we have to respond to that. Otherwise, it makes no sense. It makes no sense at all. So the called, the called uh, to all who are in Rome. Oh, verse 7. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm still in Ephesians. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 is one of those verses that everybody shouldn't remember, at least the substance, if not memorize the verse. Okay, uh, eight, correct? Seven. Okay, uh, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and from the Okay, I'll read it again. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and Lord Jesus Christ. Almost word for word. Are you reading the New King James Version? No. No, I didn't think so. I did. Yeah, very, very, very close on that one. Um, the idea then is that the offer is, I'm sorry, with this verse, Romans 1, 7, with this verse, we move into a new section of Paul's letter. To all who are in Rome is speaking of the congregation specifically, not the city in general. Okay, he's writing to all who are in Rome. It says, beloved of God, called to be saints. So it's obvious that he's writing to the congregation. All right. Um, uh, as Paul says when speaking of his people, Israel in chapter 9, so can be said of the addressees in the letter. For they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children because they are of the seed of Abraham. The same thought applies here. Not all who are in Rome are the beloved of God. That's why verse 1-6, you have to be careful with that. Nor are they all called to be saints because they live in Rome. All right? Everybody in Israel is not of Israel. He's made that clear. He's going to make it clear in the book of Romans that there are people in Israel that are not of Israel. Why? Because they don't believe. They're only of the stock of Israel, just as these people are of the city of Rome, but they are not participants in what God is doing. Okay? So for us to say that um, uh, you know, all Jews are a part of covenant Israel is to diminish all the way back. What does it say in Deuteronomy? It starts in Deuteronomy, and you see it uh, three, maybe four more times. Circumcise your hearts. Right? Jeremiah repeats it. Circumcise your hearts. It's saying that circumcision of the flesh has nothing to do with it. If you have circumcision of the flesh, you're brought into the group of people. Just like here you are in Rome, right? And you live out here and you say, I'm going to move into Rome. Well, now you're in Rome. Doesn't make you any more Roman than anything else, right? You're not a citizen. You're just living there. 
Okay, the same thing is true with Israel. They're all in Israel. Somebody comes in, he's circumcised, but he's not has no heart for the Lord. He's not really of Israel. And the same thing is true with the people that were already in there. There's there's two things going on. There is a a, a position, and then there is a there's a physical position, and then there is an identification. That's probably the best way to say that. Okay, so he is writing to the people in Rome who are the called of the the body of Christ in Rome. Brother Charlie, okay, yes. This I'll, I'll try to make this loud enough. That part in the Bible where it talks about they were not of us, but they went out from us. Right. Wow, is that like a head? They leaving their head, but didn't have it in their heart. Or, or, yeah, or because they were following Christ. You're talking about in the book of John. Where, yeah, yeah, I think it's John chapter 6. But anyway, he first says, John. if you don't eat of my flesh. First John. First, first, yeah. Oh, it's first John as well. But the same premise is in the book of John chapter 6, where do you want to leave also? They were among us, but they were not of us. And that, that's exactly right. And it's the same thing in the church. we got people that are in churches all over America, and they're among us, but they're not of us, right? We see that every prophecy update. So uh, and he is writing specifically to the people who are of the body. And like I said, anybody can pick up this Bible, even people in churches, and they're not who Paul is addressing. All right, the Bible's written everybody, and yet it's not written to everybody. All right, same thing there. Uh, the pastor may be speaking to everybody, but it's not really speaking to everybody. There's three people that are sleeping and two people that are playing the iPad and whatever else. So, yes, yes, okay. So, um, uh, not all who are in Rome are the beloved of God, nor are they all called to be saints because they live in Rome, going on. The reason we note this is because the church is an exclusive called out group of people in the world, and not all, despite the common usage of the term, are God's children. Okay, we hear that all the time. Even the Pope says that, you know, we're all God's children. And he's including people outside the church, much less people in the church. All right, when Paul says these believers are beloved of God, he uses the term agapetois theo, meaning literally God's loved ones. Okay, somebody sitting in a church and he's, you know, a, a practicing homosexual, he has no regeneration, he's just sitting there because mom brought him into church, he's not God's loved one. He may be a human being created in God's image, and God wants him to be saved, but at this point, in, in he's not. He is not God's loved one. The people who have come to Jesus Christ and been regenerated by him, been saved and sealed with the Holy Spirit, that's who's being addressed here, okay? Um, it is those who are the called to be saints. The relationship, the calling is offered by God and it is accepted by man. All right? It's not offered by God and then forced on man. God doesn't do that. All right? Um, from the moment believers are set apart as holy, and this is where the emphasis lies. So when you receive Jesus Christ, you are set apart as holy, and that's what he is emphasizing, is that group of people, okay? From that moment, believers are set, okay, I said that. Whereas we were once at enmity with God, and that's you'll find that several times in Paul's writings, where, um, as a matter of fact, what we're doing in Ephesians right now, let me go there right now so that you can see this. Um, I think I typed that today. It's not out yet. But um, where is it? It's probably about Ephesians. Um, let's see here. Yeah, he's speaking in um, uh, Ephesians um, 2.11. Okay? Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh... Okay, he's a member of Israel, he was unconverted himself, and now he is the apostle to the Gentiles. He's writing to the Gentile people of the world, right? And specifically to the Ephesians. But when Paul writes to Ephesians, he's writing to who? Us. Us. Thank you. You pay attention during the daily devotionals. I always say that. 
you know, to the Ephesians, parentheses, and thus to us, because these letters transmit down to us, right? Okay, so, therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ. Okay? What does he say? They're without Christ. Does that mean that... It, and I, I'm not going to bring that issue up because I'll get people angry at me and I'll get a million questions. So I, I, I got to be careful with these things because unless you're going to do it in detail, it's not worth doing some issues. But if you are, we'll just leave it in a general sense. If you are not in Christ, okay, what does that mean? You're that you're outside. You're completely outside. That means that every single person is not included in the Commonwealth of Israel. At that time, Israel stood alone in the entire world, and every other person, with a few exceptions that went in, like Ruth, etc., very few, all right, every person all the way around this planet was apart from Christ. Now, people will argue this, and they'll say, well, you know, I believe that God revealed himself to people, which he will talk about in the book of Romans, to the point where they could be saved. It doesn't say that in the Bible. It says that you were without Christ. And I go into great detail. Read that commentary. It'll come out in nine days from now. And um, uh, But I don't even think I addressed that particular issue. But that is what it says right there. It says that, um, you were, that you were without Christ. Christ is the only way to God, right? John 14, 6. Everybody agree with that? Okay. So, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. Actually, it says being alienated from. You are completely set apart from them. Not that you're aliens, because an alien can come in and do this and that. They're just completely cut off. You have no part in what I am doing. And God's revelation does not pertain to you in any way, shape, or form at this point, except in a general sense, general revelation. But general revelation is sufficient for what? Knowing what? Knowing. knowing God, but it's salvation. sufficient. No. General revelation is sufficient for condemnation. In other words, I know there's a God and there's no way to meet him. That's all that it is. The only revelation that can bring salvation is special revelation. That's this book. General revelation is sufficient for condemnation. In other words, I'm living my life on this planet, and that's what it says right there in the book of Ephesians chapter 2. You are outside. You have all this knowledge of God, maybe. Uh, what was his name? Aristotle. He had a knowledge of God from the world. He could... Uh, deduce that the creator must be pure actuality, something we know is true. He thought that up. God is pure act, whereas we are potential. Okay, He went through all of these things in his mind, understanding this, and it didn't get him to a point of salvation. General revelation can only condemn you, because you know something is out there, but you have no way of getting back to it. There's a disconnect between you and him, and Jesus Christ is the reconnect. Okay, here, here's the conundrum with that. It's like Jesus, you know when he was born, roughly. And okay, so everyone prior to that who never heard of him, never knew of him, no, nobody can be saved. No. How can that be? Yeah. That's, I, I, I hate to tell you, but that's what the Bible teaches. You are apart that, from God. You are condemned by general revelation. Okay, so that's what the Bible so teaches. All the patriarchs. God made a selection of a group of people, and He worked His covenants through them. Okay, He had that. He had a line of the sons of God, and all of the people in that line are there. All of the other people are apart. 
From the day we're born, let, let's not get let's now. let's not get into this. What I want to do No, 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 no. Let let me answer this but without a lot of interjections, okay? It doesn't matter. People always say, "Well, what about the poor African that lived in 1322 AD and the gospel hadn't gotten there?" Right? It doesn't matter. People say, "Well, it's not fair." That's No, 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 no. Let me answer this. Go ahead, you, answer. Okay. What matters is telling people about Jesus Christ. That is what brings salvation. All people are by default, and we talked about this last week, John 3.18, are condemned already. All people, all people on this planet are condemned already. Jesus Christ is an act of grace. It's an act of mercy to receive Jesus Christ. We're all on the same highway. We are all apart from God. God selected a group of people, and he says, I am going to work through them. I am offering them this grace. But the reason why he did that was to bring in the knowledge that the law can't save anybody. Right. Paul explains the purpose of the law. There's about four of them. We won't get into that today either. But what I'm saying is that God chose this group of people to bring us to the fullness of times when Jesus Christ would come. All right? And so that's what it says here. It says, right? It just seems... Unfair. Well not like what God would do. But that's what God has done. Okay. That is what God has done. God has brought Jesus Christ into the world at a certain time to reveal himself to all of the world. Because he knew that this group of people would reject him. And they did. Okay? That's why it's... Well, we'll get into it in Romans 9 through 11. But we don't want to get off on all these okay. tangents. All I'm saying is that in... in Yeah, you can thank God that you have somebody talked to you about Jesus Christ. And that's why we send money to missionaries is to get them out there to tell people. Because all people are in that default position. If a person in this world that has not received... Think of it this way. Okay? If a person does not receive a missionary in um, uh, Micronesia, okay... Right now, we don't send uh, people to Micronesia. Are they going to be saved? No. Okay? They're no different than the people that lived in Africa in 1422 B.C. or in China or well, anywhere else. It's different in the fact that, that Jesus had already come. To them, he hasn't. Jesus has not come to them yet. No, but they okay. had an opportunity to right. reject opportunity was Those people didn't even have an opportunity to reject No, it. I'm saying the people in Micronesia, if we don't send a missionary, has no opportunity to reject it. They are in the same boat as the people that are over there. That's why we send missionaries. Is because general revelation condemns. That's all it does. Right. It cannot save anybody. Only Jesus Christ can save. I somehow have the opinion that God supernaturally... That's what Hank but, Lindstrom, I'm sorry, Hank Hanegraaff says, and I disagree with that entirely. I, I don't know where yeah. I picked it up. Hank Hanegraaff taught that, and that's the last time I ever listened to him. Because God does not do a different thing somewhere else. This is what God does. Mm -hmm. I am very grateful every day for the grace of Jesus Christ, because he revealed himself to me in this word. But to say that I, you know, I'm a guy, I never got a chance to hear the gospel, right? I'm living in America. There's people all over the world that are unconverted. To say that I should be treated differently than a person in Micronesia or a per person in uh, Africa 800 years ago should be treated differently is to mishandle the Bible. It's to say that God is going to do something for them, but not for anybody else. And that's why I don't believe, and I, I will upset a lot of people, maybe some in here, I don't believe these stories about Muslims having dreams about Jesus. <clears throat> I just don't believe it. I'm sorry. Well, I, I hear it by missionaries all the time. Oh, there's millions of Muslims coming to Jesus because he came to them in a vision or he came to them in a dream. I don't believe that because that is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible does not teach. Faith comes by hearing, hearing and hearing by the word of God. 
Okay, it doesn't come by visions in a night. God did that during the times of the patriarchs, and he did it during the times of the prophets for a specific reason. Okay? Anyway, I, I, we're kind of getting off a little bit here, and I don't want to do that. But this at the same time, these, the, it is important. It is important, and that's the kind of thing that we're going to get into more in Romans. And if people don't appreciate that, there's nothing I can do about it, because I won't change my theology because somebody doesn't like what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches, let me go back here and finish up that verse, because I didn't even get done with it. And it, it, it's pertinent to what we're talking about in Romans 1.7. Um, Ephesians 2, it says, um, Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, uh, it uses an abstract term. Instead of saying circumcised people, he says the circumcision. He's talking about them in an abstract term in order to show, make a point here. He goes, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers of the covenants of and there's an article missing here. I don't know if your version has it, but it says, strangers of the covenants of the promise. Here it just says promise. Okay, there's a difference. Covenants of promise does not mean the same thing as covenants of the promise. The promise was given in Genesis 3, verse 15. God is going to do something, and after that, the whole Bible keeps anticipating this thing that God is going to do from Genesis 3, verse 15. If you say the covenants of promise... That means there's just this general promise out there and there are covenants based on it. That's not what it says. It says the covenants of the promise. Speaking of that first time, a certain group of people were given these covenants. Nobody else. Covenants of the promise, okay? And it says, having no hope. Now, there you go. And without God in the world. Now, does that say in Africa that they have hope and there's God in the world or Jesus Christ is going to right. supernaturally come to them? It doesn't. It says they have no hope and they're without God in the world. The only thing they have is general revelation. There is a God, they know he's there, and that's why we have 15 billion different religions on earth, people sacrificing to <coughs> volcanoes. I've read one, believe it or not, they still do that in uh, Indonesia. Today I was reading an article and people were throwing in chickens and stuff oh, into yeah, this I volcano. Yeah. And I'm thinking, this is the world we live in. That this is what we do. Well, you know, I just, Buddhists do something, and Mormons do something, and everybody's trying to do something. Works. And works. And all over the world, people are doing these things. Well, even before you go up on that, uh, the climb the highest mountain in the world, Everest. Sh yeah, Sherpas, give, Sherpas. Give, a, give a pasturage to the mountain. Yeah, they, 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 that's right. They, people pray to mountains. I see people pray to rice bowls and all kinds of stuff. I mean, yeah, I just, there's, there's all kinds of stuff that goes on in the world. They are without hope, and they are without God in the world. It doesn't say that anything other than that. It is an exclusive thing that God is doing in the pages of the Bible. And at one time, you and I were not included in that. That's what he is saying right here. So let's go back and look at that. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, who are called to be saints. Grace to you and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So now we can get back to that. Um, it says, um, uh, from that moment, the believers are set apart as holy, and this is where the emphasis lies. Whereas we were once at enmity with God... There is now felicity, and God sets his called ones apart from the world. Okay? There was a time when you and me and every person in here was not included in that. And we heard the word, we believed, and God set us apart from the world. That means the world. The whole world is under the power of the devil. Mm -hmm. The entire world is under the power of the devil. John 3.18, the whole world is condemned already. 1 John 3.8. The purpose of the, uh, the reason that the Son of God was made manifest was that the works of the devil might be destroyed. It's, you've got the default position, devil, and you've got the 
switch to position, which is Christ. And that is it. Those are the only two positions. And like I say, I have very good friends that disagree with me on this. They want to believe that their father was saved because he was a good guy. They want to believe that God was doing something in China back in 622 BC because, and I know people that believe that. Why? Because they have that hope that God is doing something else and the Bible doesn't teach that. If God is doing something else, if God is doing something else, it is not addressed in this book. Okay? I just want you to understand that. If God is doing something else, it is not addressed in this book. Hank Hanegraaff is wrong because he tells people things. And I, this was years ago. I don't know what his theology is today or if he, he's even still teaching. Is he still on the radio? I don't know. Hank, he was uh, the Bible answer man. And I, this was years ago. But I heard him say that. He said, well, you know, and he used Paul's conversion as an example of going to other people and revealing himself. Where is Paul's conversion <laughs> written? And what was it for? For God's sovereign purposes to write the pages of the Bible. It is all about this book, okay? And so, if God is doing something else out there, I am not going to comment on it, because it is not addressed in this book. And for me to say that to somebody would be dishonest at best. That's all I can say about that issue. If people don't like that, I feel bad that they have a, a disagreement with me. I don't like disagreements with people. But this doesn't talk about that particular well, issue. And that also ties back to predestination. Yes. Because if, if okay, I've if, got the book, I've got the word, I believe, I believe I'm saved, and, and okay, so now I'm just supposed to sit back and relax. And do nothing, because and God will says, do what he's right, going to do in right, somebody else. Right. That takes you right back to Reformed theology. That's right, that you are saved already. And so you don't need to do anything. You don't, because God is going to regenerate you. And that diminishes the cross of Jesus Christ. That's all it does, is because if God is going to do something in this world other than what he has done through the pages of Bible, which are in redemptive history, that group of people leading up to Christ, if he is going to do that, then the cross really doesn't have the same significance that it should. You see that? If he is just going to sovereignly walk into Africa in 1322, AD and say, listen, no missionaries come to you yet, but I'm going to save you apart from what I've done here, then the cross does not make as much difference. It diminishes it in its importance. Now, it may be that a, a, a person will say, well, that person was actually saved through the cross of Christ, right? You'll hear people argue that. Yeah. They'll say, that, oh, it's still Christ's death that saves them. Well, how does that, how does that give importance to the cross of Christ when that person never heard of that cross? when he was never introduced into that theology. It doesn't do anything except diminish what Christ did. That's all it does. Anyway, yes? I know it says natural revelation can't save you. And it says that the heavens declare the glory of God in his firm and show forth his handiwork. So it's speaking to us, but it can't save you. That's right. But in Matthew 7, 7, and 8, and I'm, I'm just trying to wed these two, that he says, seeking you shall find, knocking it shall be open to you. So for, for me, as I was looking for some meaning to life, and I found it, but in the West, you trip over Jesus left and right. That's right. But is it is any problem with God providing a way that uh, if you're seeking He has. God, He's have, provided a yes, way. The, but the, who is he speaking to? to yeah. Who is he speaking to? In Matthew 7, who was he speaking to? The Jews. He was speaking to Israel under the law. There. He wasn't speaking to the world in general. And oh, if, see, even if he that. was, yeah. even if he was speaking to the world in general, where is it recorded? In the Bible. There you go. 
So the world in general can't seek and knock and seek and find if they don't have the Bible because they have no idea what it's talking about. It all comes back to Scripture. It all comes back to Scripture. Okay? All right, let's go on. Um, Where was I? Um, uh, Next, Paul gives what would be a standard greeting in his epistles. Grace to you and peace to you. Okay? Grace is unmerited favor. Okay? Guy next door is a bad guy. Guy on this side is a good guy, and I'm in the middle. Right? When it rains, it rains on all of us, right? He doesn't deserve the rain. He's a dirt ball. That guy, really, he should have gotten more rain than him. Grace is unmerited favor. Okay? Grace and peace to you. So, um, grace is unmerited favor, which cannot be earned. The rain comes down on the just and the unjust. That is grace. I got grace at my house today. Thank you, Lord. You know, I, I'll just tell you this. You may think that's silly because you all live somewhere and you've probably gotten a lot of rain lately. Because Siesta Key is so narrow down at the end, right? It's so narrow down there that the storms build up over the mainland. They come over the bay and they subside. And they get over the north end of Siesta Key, which is a mile wide, and they build back up and it rains. But you get down literally from going over Siesta Key Bridge down to the end to Turtle Beach. You might not get rain until August, where everybody else has gotten rain every single day. Because it's so narrow, it just passes right over. And so, yes, I tell you, there are times where I have driven 50 or 100 times in my life where I've driven, come on the school bus when I was young, or I've driven home after work, and it will literally be soaking, knee-deep at 7-Eleven, and I go another quarter of a mile, and there hasn't been a single drop, and you get down to where we are, and it's just bone dry. And so when I say I got rain today, that means a lot to me because we don't get, you ought to see my lawn. It's completely brown. You know, I don't water it. And it, whereas you drive out here and everything is green and, you know, I just, so a little diversion. Sorry about that. Anyway, um, grace, to you, uh, grace is unmerited favor. It can't be earned. This is a common greeting among the Greek people. Okay. They would say charis or whatever, I, I, a different form, but the word charis or grace. All right. Um, Peace, however, is a common greeting among the Hebrew people. So you've got grace and peace. He's writing to the Gentiles. He puts grace first. Peace is a word that the Hebrew people would say. What is it? Shalom. 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 Okay, that's right. So um, uh, it's a greeting among the Hebrew people. In their language, yes, it's shalom. This is more than a greeting for calm or quiet, but it is a state of wholeness and completion in all ways. When we say to somebody, you know, peace to you, we just think of, I hope you have a nice day and it'll be nice and quiet. To them, I hope that you'll, shalom is like, I hope that you'll be blessed in your home. Your wife won't nag at you, that you'll, uh, you know, you'll have good food on the table. It's a state of wholeness. Will your peace to you is, will you have this this fullness about you, okay? Anyway, um, and I didn't mean that women (coughs) nag. I, I, I just said that. My wife who's never, and I mean literally, in 32 years, I am the nagger. I literally come I You should. Hidako, you know, she is the quietest person, and she's the only uh, example I have, okay? And so when I say the wife nags, I'm just projecting myself on the women, okay? I want all the ladies out there to know that. I don't have any example of a wife that would nag because she has never, never in 32 years ever. I I was going to give an example, but it would go on all night. She is such a wonderful wife. Um, you know, she got on that plane two days ago, and I almost cried. She was standing there, and I've never seen this. She was wearing, you know, her feet are like this big. She was wearing these tennis shoes. They're, they were like Nike or something. They were, had glitter on them. It, she looked like a three-year-old. I, I almost cried watching her walk away with these little feet. And these, <laughs> it was so tender. Oh, goodness. Oh, boy. Anyway, um, uh, uh, okay, it's more than a greeting for calm or quiet. It's a state of wholeness and completion in all ways. 
Paul unites the two terms just as the church is being united, Jew and Gentile, during his time. Grace precedes peace because only after receiving the grace of God can a person experience the peace of God. You get the grace, you reserve, you experience the peace. Okay, so that's why he's writing in a specific way. And plus also, he's writing to the Gentiles. He's going to ask for grace and peace, shalom. You're going to receive what God has given through the Jewish people. So you can see it, it, there's more than just one significance there. Paul extends this wonderful blessing on behalf of God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. <coughs> it is a greeting from the eternal God both unseen father and his son who reveals the father to us. Okay? I think everybody here understands that, but just in case you don't, here's what it says in Colossians chapter 1, uh, verse, uh, let's see, we'll start with verse 15. He is, Jesus, is the in image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created. Okay? It says in the, the Bible that God the Father is the creator, doesn't it? It also says that the Holy Spirit is the creator. Right? And yet it says that by Jesus all things were created. Now, if you read the... Stop before I go on. If you read the New World Translation of the Bible. Anybody know who trans, who, whose version that is? New World Translation. It's Jehovah's Witnesses. What? Did you say that? Okay. JWs. They say... Here's what they say. And I've got a copy of it back here. I can show you. It's an older copy. And I'm going to tell you the difference from then and now. Um, uh, it says... Um, uh, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. There are two possibilities for that word firstborn, and I, I can't remember them right offhand. One is uh, perichesis, and the other is peri, perichesis, or some, some, something. There's a little simil, di, uh, dissimilarity, but they're two very close words. One of them means that you could be the firstborn of creation, meaning he's a created being, and the other one means that he is a, apart from creation. He is not the firstborn in that sense. And Paul uses the one that means he cannot be a part of creation. He is the firstborn of creation. He is the creator. Okay? So, just so you know, that word there is very particular, and it cannot mean that he is a created being in any way, shape, or form. But in the Job's Witness, they go on, for by him it says all things were created. In the New World Translation, and the one that I have back there, they bracket the word other. By him all other things were created. Because they have a presupposition that Jesus isn't God and therefore he didn't create anything, which, by the way, if you go to the uh, 12 first principles, it is impossible for a created being to create anything. There can only be one creator and after that they can, there can be no more creation. And we can go through that sometime if you want, the 12 first principles. But it is impossible, but forget that, they inserted the word other, okay, saying that we don't believe that he's God and so he created all other things because they know that God created all things, right? And now what do they do with the newer copies of the New World Translation? They get rid of the brackets. They just put in the word other and they've added to God's word. It doesn't even imply other, but they first years ago put it in brackets and now they have it just it, all other things were created by him. So I'm telling you, they have a high penalty, the penalty to pay for what they've done. Anyway, um, uh, by, uh, by him all things uh, were created that were in heaven and on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And it goes on, verse 19, I, I skipped two verses, for it pleased the Father that in him, Jesus Christ, all the fullness should dwell. Okay? And then he goes on more. But, in those verses, it makes it abundantly clear that one, Jesus Christ is God, and that God reveals himself 
through Jesus Christ. Amen. If you see what I'm saying there, is that God the Father is unknowable. He is unseeable. We can't see God, all right? And if you want an example of this, let me do this really quickly. I've talked about this before, but not during the Romans book study. You have the Trinity, and people stumble over the Trinity. I don't understand the Trinity, and they make up examples. One of the examples might be an egg. And they say, well, see, an egg has got the shell, and it's got the yolk, and it's got the white. It's a bad example. There are three different things. One can be without the other, okay? Uh, people will say that the Trinity is um, like ice because it can be hard or it can be uh, water or it can be gas, right? It's three different things. That's just that's modalism. That's saying three different modes of the same thing. That also is a heresy. I'm going to give you a real quick example so that you can see that one can't do without the other. It's not a perfect example, but from there, I'll give you a much better example, okay? An example would be a triangle. You've got We'll put God the Father here, and you've got God the um, Holy Spirit here, and you've got God the Son here, okay? Now, if you make an arrow and you say, God the Father is not, put an X there, he is not the Holy Spirit, right? All right? And God the Father is not the Son. And the Son is not the Holy Spirit. So none of them are any of the others, right? If you take out one of these, you have what? No triangle. Right? It, a triangle is something that is. Okay? Now, but they all are. God the Father is what? God the Son is what? They're one. Co equal. They're co equal. They're all one and they're all God. Okay? It's just one. All right? Now, if you want to put God the Son in here, which we have, and now he's a human, God has revealed himself in God the Son. So, you can have, let me make this triangle again so that you can decide. Is this correct? God the Son is here. Is that correct? Yes. No. <laughs> is this correct? God the Son is here and here's the uh, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Is that correct? No. No. Is this correct? The answer is yes. yes. There is no intermingling of Jesus Christ's nature. He is fully God and he's fully man. There is no separation between his manhood and his deity. There is no separation. That's a heresy. There is no intermingling of the two. That is a heresy. They are forever united, but they do not overlap and they do not part. Okay? It's like looking at a, a line that goes on forever and ever. He is fully God. He is fully man. They touch, but they do not overlap. They do not separate. This is the humanity of Jesus Christ. This is the deity of Jesus Christ. So you put that right here, and that's kind of a picture of what you see. It's not a perfect picture, but it's a very good one. Now, if you want to see a much better picture of... Oh, we got done with verse 1-6 today, so we don't need that anymore. Um, did time have a beginning? For us. Yes, okay, time began. There was a point when there was no time. Einstein proved that. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay, but in the concept of time, there really is no beginning if you think of it because God created and therefore there was a moment when he activated something. But he has always existed. So I want you to know time had a beginning. But I'm going to get rid of that beginning simply because God was there before it. All right, now, this is the future. This is the present. And this is the past. Okay? Present. All right. Now, um, 
this is the stream of time. All right? Now, tell me something about the future that we know. It's going to happen. We know it's coming. The future is coming. Okay, anything else? It's going to have an ending. It's going to have an ending? Well, there will never be an end to the future. And Omega, I mean, beginning. No, he's the beginning and the end. You don't know but there is. is no ending. The, eternity. eternity is forever. He is so time has no ending as long as there is matter. Now, I'm not talking about this. I'm not talking about the universe. God created the universe, and He could simply just speak it out of existence. But as long as there is matter, there will be time. So as far as we look at time, there is no ending. So it's going to come. Can no. we know the future? No. No. Except as it is revealed in the. No. In the present. We can't know the future except as it's revealed in the present. Now, the Bible says that this is coming. That's how we know that God is outside of time. Is because this is going to happen. Right? Yeah. So he's outside of time. But we don't know that. What I'm saying is he says that the battle of Gog and Magog is coming. Mm -hmm. So we're trusting that that's true because we're Christians. But I'm talking about in the sense of knowing the future. Can we know the future before it happens? No. no. We've got something is coming, but we don't know the details. We know that it's coming because he told us from outside of time. All right? But the future is unknowable except as it's revealed in the present. Can we see the future? No, we can't see the future. Can't see. Okay, right? Can't see the future. All right? So you know it's coming. And as soon as it comes, it what? It becomes the present and then the past. It slips immediately into the past. All right? Now, tell me something about the present that we can know. I have a question. <laughs> Does that mean there are no prophets? No. Th th that has nothing to do with inspired? this. No. The, oh, you, you're, you're they saying... Foretell the, they speak from God. They speak from God outside is speaking to them in the stream of time. But that has nothing to do with this. Okay. Okay? All the prophet is doing is he is revealing what God has told them. Okay? Right? He is outside of time. I'm talking about this. I'm not talking about what God is doing here. Okay? Right now, tell me something about the present. You can see, you can feel, you can touch it, you can hear it, you can smell it, you can know it. It is knowable completely. It is where we exist. It's where we breathe. It's where we move. Right? This is it. That's it for us. And as soon as the present is gone, where does it go? Past. To the past. Now, you can tell me something about the past that is different from the future. Knowable. It's knowable. This isn't knowable, but that is. Okay? Yeah. That's not knowable. This is knowable. All right? It's what? It's not coming. It's not coming. It's going. All right? But tell me, tell me something that the past does for you. You learn from it. You learn from it. That's our teacher. And what else does it do? When I think subjective. Well, I'm thinking about my wife right now. Tell me oh, something about that. Long. I miss her. Remember? I miss her. Okay. So I, when I think of her little cute shoes, what does it do? It gives me. You cry. It gives me comfort. Right. Feeling. Right. Okay. Now, let's let's look at this. What does the Bible say about God the Father? He's unknowable. He's unknowable. He's unknowable. We know he's there. But we can never attain to him. It says that he dwells in an unapproachable light which no man has seen or can see. It is impossible to see God. We will never see God ever in heaven. Except as he's revealed in Jesus Christ. Okay? We will see God because Jesus is God. But this Father, this infinite Father who is out of our ability to grasp, 
will endlessly and ceaselessly reveal himself through the Son, the lamp of God. That's why Colossians 1. Everything about the Bible supports this. Everything about it supports the nature of what we can know. The Father is unknowable. We know that he's coming. We know he's there. We're here, right? If we're here, then that means that somebody put us into motion. God outside of time, right? We can't see him, but we can hope for him. What does Paul say about God the Father? He is our hope, right? He's our, what? Blessed hope. He's our anticipation. All You know, you, you almost salivate thinking about seeing God. Well, guess what? We can. Even though I said we can't, we can, because here he comes. He reveals himself to us right now. When I say we can't see God, I say that we can't see God there. Because if we could see, think of it this way, if we could see God in his fullness, what would that mean about us? We'd be God. We would be God. We would know every possible thing that could be known instantly, and it would completely consume us. It would destroy us because we can't handle that. We're finite beings. Everything that will ever occur in all of eternity, no matter how long that is, we're waiting to see. We cannot see God because if we did, we would be God. That's exactly right. The, the finite would become the infinite. And guess what? That only happens in one place anywhere in God the Son. So this is the Son. This is the Father. And this is the Holy Spirit. The Son. Tell me something that we can know about the Son. He's the mere image. He's the image of the invisible God, right. the firstborn over all creation. But tell me something we can know about him. Well, he's good. Well, that's true, but I'm talking about something. If he was standing right here, Jesus Christ. What? He has two legs, two arms. So we can legs. see him? Yep. What else? We can understand. We can feel him. We can touch him. We can hear him. We can, uh, what was that? See, feel, hear, smell. Right? And we can know him intimately. We can know his character. These are the things that we can do with Jesus. Now, he's not here right now. But he is coming again, and when he comes, these are the things we'll do. Because he is God revealing the Father to us in the present. Okay? Now, as soon as we turn around, we don't see him anymore, right? He's behind me, and I'm over here, but I still have the memory of him. I have what he said he would leave behind. Tell me something about the Holy Spirit that the Bible describes. He would take whatever was his and give it to us. He would take what is of his and give it to us. All right? Well, how does he do that? He helps us to know. He just, yeah. just to understand the word. <laughs> he comforts us. He's our teacher. We learn from him. All of the things that we just described about the pastor are things that we describe about the spirit. Now, I'm not saying that this is a perfect example, but the, God has given us the stream of time to understand that time is one thing. All of this is one thing. There was never a time when it didn't exist, okay? Because, as I said, time started at a certain moment, but... The fact that it started at a certain moment means that he was before that, that time. So there was never a time when time didn't exist in God. I'm not talking about this. I'm talking about in here. Never a time. And there is never a time that the present did not exist. As long as time has existed, there has always been a present. And guess what? As long as time has existed, there has always been a future. Always. And as long as God has existed, there has always been a future. As long as God existed, there has always been a present. And as long as God existed, there has always been a past. In God. Okay? God doesn't change. There's no time in God. But what I'm saying is time came from God. And therefore, all of this exists in him simultaneously. It is one thing. And that's why when you read the book of Hebrews, 
is most important to understand this when you read the book of Hebrews. Because what does he, he uses a term in every Bible that's of any caliber at all. We'll capitalize this one word in the book of Hebrews. If you hear his voice, do not, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. What is the first verse that I didn't say? Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden. And they always capitalize this. Calling it today. He cites this word today like six times in the book of Hebrews. And he says, that day, and what does he do? He says, that, well, you've got the rebellion here. You've got David here. David writes the psalm here, right? And then here we are. Well, guess what? All of that, according to the Bible, is all one thing. Right? So when you read the book of Hebrews and you think about this going on right here with the word today, you'll understand what God is doing. He said another day, calling it today. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in a rebellion. Well, David was speaking about this back here. And this guy is citing what David said, which was written 700 years before him. Right? And so everything is one thing. Today is the day of salvation. Right? Today is the day of God's favor. Everything is happening at one time in God. Everything. Today. Anyway, I don't want to get too, too off on that, but you have to understand what God is like in order to understand what he is saying in this book. And to understand the nature of God, that he always existed, that he is revealing himself through the person of Jesus Christ, that can take us right back to grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. God our Father... All right, you've got one God. God the Father is not the Son. God the Father is not the Holy Spirit. The Son is what reveals the unseen Father. That's why, and I talked about this before, when I talked about, um, Bob seemed to like that. He mentioned it during the uh, service the, that Sunday, is that that is why I do not believe in a um, uh, pre-incarnate Christ. I believe in the eternal Christ. Because if... God walked up. If Jehovah, which it says, Jehovah, however you want to say it, he walked up to Abraham, and Abraham washed his feet, right? And they gave him a meal. If he did that, Jehovah, right? And who is Jehovah? Jesus. He has revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. If that is the physical manifestation of God, then guess what? That must be Christ. Isn't that funny that the Jehovah Witnesses they deny the very thing that they, they have their name for. It's it's ironic. Ironic. Say a little bit slower now, because I understand like he wrestled with the angel of the Lord. Yeah, he wrestled kind of with the angel of the Lord. But and you said not, not, not a pre, pre-incarnate Christ or, or a theophany. He is an eternal Christ. Yeah. The same he Christ. He always was. He always and, and, was. Yeah, I know the three had to fellowship one with another, so what's the difference? Okay, you must not have been here during that one, and I'll really well, quickly say this. No, that's okay. I'll really quickly here. say this. He appears in his own genealogy, directing history to himself. And you can watch one of 15 different Hollywood movies that have thought exactly this. They, they have somebody that goes back in time, and I'm watching one right now, Back to the Future. I'm in the middle of Back to the Future right now. I hadn't seen it in years, and I thought, well, I love that song, um, The Power of Love. Anyway, um, okay, so, I, I, yeah, it's taken me three days, and I'm only a little further along, but I'll get through the whole thing eventually. But... They go back in time and they redirect their future. Now, if we can think of this, and it makes complete sense to us, guess what? God thought of it long before. How am I going to make all of these things occur so that it arrives at me? I'm going to introduce myself into my past. He, Jesus Christ right oh, okay. now, he, yeah, now. He, he is God. 
He's, he's, he's telling people about it. a theophany or we call it uh, well, a theophany. I'm really telling them wrong then? No, 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 no. This is me. Okay. I, I don't know anybody else that teaches this, so I don't want you to think this of this as doctrine. All I'm doing is telling you that most, pe yeah, most people will say it's a theophany, it's a pre-incarnate Christ. That's a logical contradiction. For to say he's a pre-incarnate Christ, it, it doesn't make any sense. Born. He was before he was born. Yeah, that's not possible. That is Christ going back into his past and doing what he did. Yeah, when he came down on Mount Sinai, there he was. You know, they had a meal but below his feet. Below his feet was a, a pavement of sapphire. Well, guess what? If you see feet, right? Anyway, okay. I, that's just what I believe. It doesn't make any sense otherwise because today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in a rebellion. Because today is the same day that was being spoken of here, here, and here. Well, They're all the same day. argument because there's no ever any, been any time where there wasn't a third three parts of the Trinity. They've always existed because <laughs> God is God. In the flesh is a child. And been, and, 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 and well, that's what he brought up three weeks yeah. ago. Yeah. He said, I, imagine that. Imagine that. And then you had something else. If he can do something, I'm, it, 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 it's not something that we can get our minds around. Yeah. But if you look at it from a biblical perspective of time, this is what makes sense. And that's why he can say from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and be speaking of the same God, and yet different persons within the Godhead. You've got the unseen Father, you've got the seen Son, and you've got the Holy Spirit, which he'll bring in during the book of Romans. Um, anyway, I know that was a diversion, but I hope that helps you to understand how God is revealing himself, because you say, well, how can Jesus be God? Is time one thing or not? Yeah. Yes, but does time have a future? Yeah. Does time have a present? Yeah. Does time have a past? Yes. But they're all one thing. Yeah. How, how can Jesus be God? Right? Because God has a future. God has a present and God has a past. God has a Father, God has a Son, and God has a Holy Spirit. If you can have three things in any one thing and then be that one thing, then you can have a trinity. That's all you need to do is prove that one thing can have three things that are the same. An egg doesn't do that. Water doesn't do that. But time does that. And guess what? The universe is made not just of... What was that? Is it time? It's time you know, to go. You have um, a question. Uh, yeah, I got a question. I'll read that in a second. Um, uh, if if um, now I've lost my thought because um, um, he did time. that, but uh, uh, well, the three. oh yeah, uh, it, you have the three. They're all one. I can't remember what I was saying. It went bang, and now I've completely lost my butt. <laughs> yes. Jesus said, "I and my Father are, are one." one. Then he said, I'm going to send the comforter. That's right. And I'm not going to leave you alone. I will come to I you. I will come to you. And so he's, he's coming showing, through the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. Yeah, if you have any of... And, oh, here's what I was going to say. Thank you. Not only is time a trinity within itself, but within creation is a trinity of trinities. Because you have time is past, present, and future. Matter is energy in motion producing phenomena. That's exactly what matter is. It's energy, which is in motion. If you have helium, it's very light. Why? Because it has one, one electron, okay? And it's spinning around the nucleus. And so, because it's spinning around the nucleus, this one thing, boom, 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 it's very light. But if you have um, gold, I don't remember what it is, but uh, anyway, it has, what, what's that? 64, whatever. It's got a certain number. It's got a whole bunch of electrons in there, and so they're making more impact. And because they're making more impact, it's heavier. Okay? This has only one, and so it's very light. Okay? But energy and motion producing a phenomena. And then um, time, space, and matter. So space is what? 
length, breadth, and height. Okay? Everything is comprised in space by length, breadth, and height. If you don't have length, then you can't have breadth or height. If you have breadth, okay? So, the universe itself is a trinity of trinities. Time, space, and matter is um, uh, past, present, and future, energy and motion producing phenomena, and length, breadth, and height. And so you have a trinity of trinities. To, what God has done is he has revealed himself in what he has created. But time is the best example because we can see the nature of God the Father, the nature of God the Son. And don't get me wrong, this is imperfect because it can never attain to God. Okay, But he has created it for our benefit so that we can have an understandable example of him. Okay, here we go. Um, let me see what this uh, question is. Um, somebody named... Sir uh, Willie in London asks, uh, said in him, time always was, is, so when did time start for us? Was it Genesis 1-1? Yes, it was Genesis 1-1 is when time started. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that was, we Christians have always taken it as an axiom that time began, that there was a point when there wasn't time. That has been the standard, Christian theologians believe that forever. And then eventually, people started to get away from wanting to believe in God. And so what did they do? They said, oh, well, gee whiz, maybe time always existed. And so we have to go through all of these philosophical arguments, which we could go on all night with these, as to why time had a beginning. Okay? But who came along in, I think it was 1923, and wrote something that proved that time had a beginning? Einstein. Einstein, the theory of Relativity, right? And when he wrote relativity, it caused a shockwave because everybody realized, oh my goodness, time had a beginning. And so what did they do? They came up with the big, big bang theory because they didn't want to admit that God was there. And so they said the universe created itself out of nothing. So the answer that he's asking is, if time had a beginning, well then what about God? That's why I said God is outside of time. God had no beginning. He created everything at one moment. He spoke the universe into existence. It says, um, either Isaiah or the Psalms, and I'm forgetting it right now, but it says he spoke and it stood firm. He spoke and it was created. Okay? The Psalms. Thank you. Um, uh, the, uh, then the Isaiah says something else. Um, uh, anyway. Okay. So he created out of nothing, ex nihilo. There was nothing. He spoke and it was created. Time began at that moment. God was already there, and that's why I say this is an imperfect example, because time actually had a beginning, unless you look at God, who is outside of time. If he created something, that means he was there before it happened. But if the universe created itself, then that means that it was already there. It was already there. Therefore, it existed before it existed, and that's a logical impossibility. For the universe to have come into existence, something that could not not exist must be there, and that is God. That is the God that we speak of. He cannot not exist. And to say, well then, why didn't he create it 17 billion years ago? That's a category mistake. Because whenever he created, that's when the beginning was. Whether it was one day ago or whether it was 17 billion years ago, it doesn't make any difference. He created when he created, and from that moment, time started going forward. Okay? So we can say, I believe in short-term evolution, and therefore God created 6,000 years ago. Or I believe that God, you know, we have time. We have five minutes. Gerard Schroeder, very smart man. Very smart man. He's over in Israel. He's on our nuclear uh, program here in America. He retired, went to Israel. They got all our secrets. And he's a giant mind. He wrote a book about the creation. And he believes that...
is started here, like with the Big Bang, and then it expanded out so that even though he actually created in six days, see here is 18 billion years, okay? So God actually created in six days, but there's 18 billion years of history here. I think that's waffling on the biblical account because that means that the earth was here 18 billion years ago and that God waited 18 billion, well, we'll say 17 billion, um, 999 million, 994,000 years to then create Adam, okay? I don't look at it that way. God created, and then he created Adam, you know, six days later, okay? I am a short-term evolutionist because... A creationist, excuse me, I'm not an evolutionist, I'm a short-term creationist because it's the only thing that matches the Bible, okay? But if God created that way and that we came out here and he did this, that's fine, whatever. I don't argue those things with people, but the Bible, the problem with, we've got four more minutes and I'll, I'll take you back real quickly just so you can know why I believe what I believe. I'm going to read this to you and I want you to tell me what, what uh, uh, would make me believe because... I just thought of this when I was doing a paper for a completely different subject. It was on morality um, in the Bible. But here's what it says. It says, um, um, day six, um, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed to you it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, to every thing that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food. And it was so. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Sixth day. That's the sixth day when man was created. Okay? So uh, then we get over here, and it says, um, uh, where am I? Um, start in verse 15, chapter 2. Because people say, well, that's a different creation account. No, it's not. It explains what happened in the Genesis 1 creation account. Here it says, then God took uh, the man and put him in the garden. He created him outside of the garden, and that's really important. Jim got this. Okay, you, he was created outside the garden and he was rested, Yanach, in the garden. That's a very important precept to remember because he was not put there to work and tend and serve the garden or uh, work until the garden. That would cause a gender discord in what the Bible says. He was there to worship and serve in the garden, which is exactly what the last page of the Bible says we're going to be doing. We're going to be worshiping and serving God. Okay, he was there rested in the garden, not meant to work. Okay, but he lost that, and that's why we're working now, getting back to where we're going. Different argument, but anyway, put him in the garden to, we'll say, tend and keep it, because that's the way they translate it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree that the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground of the Lord created all the creatures, blah, blah, blah. There was not a, a helper comparable to him, so he put him to sleep, took out a bone. Why do I believe in short-term creation? I said it in what I just read. Here's, here's the reason why. What did it say at the end of day six? So he made the evening, uh, so the evening and the morning, oh, then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. Well, what does it say right here? It says, and the Lord God said it is not good that man should be alone. 
That was on the first day. He created man and woman on the first day, right? That's what it says. And it says in the middle of that day, it says it is not good that the man should be alone. So he, if everything was very good at the end of the sixth day, and it was not good that man was alone, then everything wasn't very good if the day was longer than one day. Okay? And if you take Adam's life, he died at how old? 930 years. How old was he when he had Seth? He was 130 years old, right? And that means that he had Seth after he had uh, uh, Cain and Abel. They grew up. They killed each other. You're down to a couple of years. If God did everything in a couple of years, then he certainly could have done it in a day. You see what I'm saying? It becomes ludicrous to say that the Bible is the word of God and long-term creation can be billions of years when on the sixth day, which that exegetes what a day is. A day is a day in the Bible. It's not an age because a day can be an age. The day of the Lord is a certain day. Okay? This is the day of God's favor. This is A day can be other than a literal day. But We're if, out of time. But let me oh, we say, are out of time. The, uh, what are those petrified trees that run through the strait? Poly, uh, polystrate fossils. Everyone watch. Look that up. Look up polystrate fossils, and that'll show you that one tree can take over millions and millions and millions of years in a single fossil because God created in six days. Anyway, it is not possible that God it, it, to me, the Bible does not allow anything but a literal six-day creation based on it not being good at the end of the sixth day, and yet during, I'm sorry, being good, very good at the end of the sixth day, but not being good during that day. And if Adam only lived 930 years, then that tells me that it was a literal day, okay? The, the Bible just doesn't give any other option. We should always okay? believe literal unless... Believe literal not. unless there's a compelling reason to not believe literal. That's a... Beautiful uh, aspect right. of hermeneutics. We've got one question and we'll be done. The little square there beside your molecule. Yes. Okay. Nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us. Us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's Very space. good. Space can't separate us. Space can't separate us from the, Lord, the love of God which is found in Christ Jesus. Wonderful way to close. Um, uh, can't turn this around, but it, it, would you pray us out tonight? Maybe you did that last time. Did you pray last week? Okay, please do. Ain't saving anything, but wow, Father. Man, my mind has been boggled to such a degree that, man, I'm on my knees. Lord, to <laughs> contemplate what you've done. Lord, I still understand it all, but I know you love me. I thank you for our brother here, Charlie, who's expanded and helped bring us the depths of understanding and, and all of the things of, that just barely can even touch on. Lord, it's so deep, I can't even touch bottom. Lord, you are greater than we are. I'm just a small part of your creation. Lord, I just want to be on tune with what you're doing and be in tune with what I should be doing. So, Lord, we just thank you for the ability for communications and such that some people can watch us off the screens and be on all places on the earth. And yet, also, that you're here. And, Lord, we get just so blessed to have our brother Charlie. Lord, to uh, expand these things and stretch our mind. And, uh, make us think about things that are and things that could be. What is? Lord, just touches our heart. Lord, more than that, we just also thank you too, Lord, that you're able to fit not only in our heart, but in our minds and cause us to be the people you want us to be. We're called into relationship with you. So Lord, I just thank you for his wife and his travels as she's gone. For all of us that so you're reaching across this body in this place we call the world, calling people unto yourself, Lord, that we might grow to be the people we ought to be, longing for a land and a place that one day you're going to be calling us to. But until then, Lord, might we be found faithful, and we will share this good news of what it means to walk with you, to love you with all our heart, 
to be an open vessel for your use. For it's in your name I 